in the Servant King series, I've titled this message, How Wrong Can You Be? <laughs> they brought a smile to my face. Um, Matthew 18, or Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 27 reads like this. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, also the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? <laughs> I love that. There, there's, there's, there's a lot of depth in what Jesus just said. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Can you say hallelujah? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quiet wrong. It amazes me because first they were just wrong, now they're quiet wrong. <laughs> Evidently, there are degrees of being wrong. <laughs> and that's where the, the title came to me, um, how wrong can you be? Well, evidently, you can be pretty wrong, you know, and we're going to examine that. Now, I've got to, I've got to take a moment here to mention something to you. I, as a young man, I studied for ordination, and I had a, an exam that I had to take, and I had to pass this exam before they'd lay hands on me and ordain me. And I forget how many questions were on the test, but I was determined to ace that test, and I was going to be proud. And God was not going to let me be proud. <laughs> I missed one question. One question on this test. And it was true or false. Jesus knows everything. Jesus knows everything. I said, well, that's true. Jesus knows everything. Mm, got it wrong. Somebody help me. What does Jesus not know? Somebody tell me. He, he doesn't know when the end is going to be. He said that's for, that's for Father to know. Now, and I said to the guy standing in front of me, I'm going to protest this one. He said, well, you could if you were wrong, right. You can't protest it. You're wrong, right? I said, Jesus, how could, not, how could Jesus not know that? Because he's, he's part of the Trinity, right? How could he not know this, you know? Well, he said these key words to me that I'll never forget as long as I live. And I said, where did you get that? He said, out of a version of the Bible. Jesus said, it's given to the Father to know that. And, and, and those are powerful words. It's given to the Father to know that. Who gave it to him? Who gave it to Father? Do you understand that what a powerful statement that is about the omniscience of Christ? Was he gave that honor to Father. He doesn't know. He doesn't want to know. He lets Father have it. It's the uniqueness between Father and Son. It's something that God knows that Jesus doesn't know. And, and, and it teaches me something. Have you ever met somebody that's, that's arrogant? And it's like when God was giving out humility and humbleness, they didn't get their share. Jesus got his share. 
You know, it, it, it made me feel like even closer to Jesus to know that he would give up something like that willingly to Father. They had to be in agreement. Father and Son had to be in agreement. And Son, Jesus doesn't touch it. It's, for fa- it's given to the Father to know. That's what you need to know. Everything else Jesus knows. Everything else the servant king knows, you know? And that's important when you study the series on the servant king. And I wanted to touch on that because how do, you, how, do you do, how do you do a sermon on this subject and not talk about the omniscience of Christ, everything that he knows? It's like you can't win a chess game with Jesus. Can you say amen? You know? And, and I used to say this, even if Jesus could be wrong, who would grade his paper? You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's nobody qualified to grade his paper. Jesus doesn't do anything wrong. Are you with me? Are you tracking? All right. By the way of introduction, let's take a moment to review the recent attempts uh, on the uh, part of the local leadership to match wits with Jesus. <laughs> This always strikes me funny. First, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders challenged the authority of Jesus in Mark chapter 11, verse 27. Pastor spoke on this subject. They came to him and said, by what authority do you do these miracles? Do you remember that? And, and Jesus, he knows what they're thinking, you know, but he never says, I know what you're thinking. I learned from my wife that people don't like to hear the words, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Thank you, Gloria. It is funny, isn't it? <laughs> I don't, I don't, no woman in my life doesn't like me. I know what you're thinking, right? And Jesus doesn't do that to people either. He said to them, though, he said, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. Do you remember that? By what power? Did John the Baptist baptize? Was it of God? Was it of heaven or was it of men? Because he knew if he gave him this conundrum question, if they said it's of God, then he could say, well, then why didn't you believe him? Why did you reject him? And if they said it's of man, it's not of God, then they were afraid the people there would kill him <laughs> because they believed in John. They believed that they'd have an uprising on their hands, so they didn't answer the question, though therefore, so therefore Jesus didn't need to answer their question. The omniscient Son of God knew what was going on in their heads. You know, some people are pretty smart, and they stay, you know, ahead of people. Jesus is, please. You know, for the sake of the court, can we all just get this part over with? Can we all just agree that Jesus is a pretty smart guy? (laughs) Jesus is pretty smart. All right, the secondly, the group of Pharisees and Herodians approached him with a question about paying taxes in verse 13 of the same chapter. They said, what do you think, what, what is it about, is it right or wrong to pay taxes to the Roman Empire? You remember, the, remember that? What he said, what he said, give me a coin, right? Someone hands him a coin, and he looked on it and said, whose picture is on this coin? Whose picture was on the coin? Caesar's. Well, Caesar's picture's on it, said, render unto Caesar, what is Caesar's? Pay taxes, in other words. So, they didn't, they didn't have anywhere to go there, did they? He was ahead of them. Now the Sadducees are making their feeble attempt to match wits with Jesus, and as in the previous accounts, proved that they are poorly equipped IQ-wise to play in this field as all of the others, as we see in verse 18. The Sadducees' problem was that they believed in the limited inspiration of Scripture. This is the first time the Sadducees are mentioned in Mark's Gospel. They were the top people in the nation, the elite group of aristocrats, 
who owned a lot of land, men of wealth and rank. They were the power brokers in Israel's Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. The high priests came from the families of the Sadducees, and they had also gained the most from the Roman occupation of Judea. They were arrogant and corrupt. They behaved this way because of what they believed. They were selective in what they accepted from the Scriptures. They were selective. Have you ever met anybody before that, you know, you wondered about whether they accepted Christ or not. You, you didn't have to be judgmental. You could just hear from what they were saying, you know, that, that it might be questionable. I'm not talking about judging other people. But, but what I know is dangerous is when people start saying things like, well, I've, I've read the Bible, and I believe this part, but I don't believe this part. That's That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And, and you don't have to judge anybody to know they're on thin ice with their life and eternity. Amen? You either accept Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and take them at their word and exercise faith in them or you don't. You either take this word, the written word of God, and you accept it for what it is and you take it by faith or you don't. And if you don't, you're in danger. If I say anything else to you about that, I'd be lying to you. I cannot lessen the blow of, uh, and the impact of that statement. It's very important. Take God at his word and take his word by faith and let it give you guidance in your life. Can you say amen? They chose to believe the bits of the Bible that suited themselves. They rejected all the historical books from the book of Joshua all the way through to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, they wouldn't accept a word from them. They also rejected all of the Psalms. Can you imagine rejecting the Psalms? I can't live a day of my life without going to the Psalms and picking something up from God. Amen? <clears throat> they rejected the writings like of Job and Ecclesiastes. Not one of the books of the prophets would they accept. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel rejected all of them. Wouldn't believe a word they said. They were all banned by the Sadducees. They were left with the first five books of Moses, and they didn't even, they didn't even accept those wholly. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they even picked and chose what they liked out of it. And they treated Moses like he was the final word and the final authority over their lives. So when Mark introduces them in verse 18 as representatives of a kind of first century rationalism, he says that they were the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. There are millions of men and women just like the Sadducees living in the Western world today. The spirit of the Sadducees, I'm sad to say, is alive and well. If we could confront the Sadducees, what I'd love to do if I had one sitting here, I'd love to say to him, well, you believe in the first five books of the Bible, right? And they would say, yeah, I believe in it, right? Well, how many of you remember in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, where God breathed life into the dust that would become Adam? I would say to them, if you believe that God could breathe life into the dust of Adam... Well, if we die and we go to the grave at the resurrection, could God not breathe life into that dust, into that dirt again? 
He's practiced at it. He's, he's pretty good at it. Can you say amen? <laughs> he's done it before. He can do it again. I don't know how anybody with the spirit of the Sadducees on him could argue with that. If God did it once, can God, God do it again? Yeah. There's a book found in the Apocrypha called The Wisdom of Solomon, but it wasn't written by Solomon. There's a reason why it's not included in the Bible. The Wisdom of Solomon, it was written before Christ, and there's a place in the second chapter in which men who don't believe in life after death, like the Sadducees, speak out. What they reveal show what you're left with if there's no expectation of life after death and no belief in the resurrection of the body. Here's how it reads. For we were born by mere chance. They lost me already. <laughs> For we were born by mere chance, and hereafter we shall be as though we, never had, we had never been. For the breath in our nostrils is smoke, and reason is a spark kindled by the beating of our hearts. When it is extinguished, the body will return to ashes, and the spirit will dissolve like empty air. Our name will be forgotten in time, and no one will remember our works our life will pass away like the traces of a cloud and be scattered like mist that is chased by the rays of the sun and overcome by its heat. For our allotted time is the passing of a shadow and there is no return from our death because it is sealed up and no one turns back. Wisdom of Solomon. Someone had the gall to call this book the Wisdom of Solomon. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. No wonder it didn't make it into the Bible. It wasn't inspired by God. It was not inspired by Father. Don't you hear the bleak pessimism of our very own generation outside of Christ? On they are going to nothingness. That is why, or that is what they think will be their inescapable end, born by mere chance. Hmm. So grab what you can while you're still breathing. You're on your own. You're your own God and your own Savior. Get it while you can because you can't take it with you. Life has no meaning, so don't ask why you're alive. No one knows. Live for the day. Trust in yourself. There's nothing else. There's no return from our death. That's what they said. But Jesus Christ did return from the grave. Amen? Isn't that something? I used to carry a list around with me of things that I believed, glory, I was going to ask God when I got to heaven, this list, and whip it out. Okay, God. I no longer know where the list is. The list doesn't matter. Got rid of the list. I realize that when I stand before God in heaven, that list will mean nothing. So, earlier in life, I decided not to embarrass myself. <laughs> <laughs> by whipping that out in front of God. One psalmist said, I shall not die, but live and tell of Jehovah's power to save. Another psalmist said that God would not allow His own Holy One, the Christ, to see corruption in the grave. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. That's Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. God raised our Redeemer from death 
He was declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection. It is this Savior who says, Because I live, you shall live also. I am the resurrection and the life. So there were the Sadducees who came up to Jesus in the temple precincts. Going to try to throw a conundrum question at him. Going to trip Jesus up. Here's a warning that I got from reading about the Sadducees. Cynical beliefs lead to mocking questions. Watch this with me again. The Sadducees came with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose, life shall, whose wife shall she be since the seven were married to her? Verses 19 through 23. You know, I, I've told you this before, and it's the gospel truth. I'm just a simple man from the South. Jesus is smart. Me, not so much. <laughs> I'm just being, you know, honest with you. I look at this story and I think, seven brothers, you know, around three or four, I began to think maybe marrying this woman's not such a great idea after all. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when, when uh, Samson got a hold of that jawbone of a donkey and killed 3,000 Philistines. What was wrong with these guys after like 999 died? And you're climbing over dead corpses to get at this guy, and he's knocking heads right and left with the jawbone of a donkey. I want to be the guy that goes back to the king and gives him the bad news. <laughs> I want to be that guy that reports, man, that, that's a bad man. That's a bad man. He took up the jawbone of a donkey, and when he killed about 999 of us, you know, I'm not going to be number 2,999. I'm at least that smart, right? You know? Well, I'm not going to be brother number seven. Do you see the ridiculousness of the story they came up with? It's just ridiculous, right? Watch this with me. In Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10, Moses said that if a husband died, leaving no heirs, one of the surviving brothers should take his widow and marry her, and so provide the dead brother with an heir. So the brother's name and honor and inheritance would be kept in the family, and the first child of that union would be counted as the dead man's child. Simple. Didn't mention brother number three. Didn't mention brother number four. Didn't mention brother number five. Just like, it's just like a bunch of Sadducees with the spirit of the Sadducees on them to come up with such a dumb challenge for Jesus. Does that make sense? And Brother Dennis, he called somebody dumb. <laughs> you go away from here. You'll think, oh, what a powerful message, right? <laughs> here, here in this contrived story of the Sadducees, a woman had no children from all seven brothers whom she married and who all died one by one. Then she herself died. And the question they asked Jesus was, whose wife would she be in the resurrection for she had been married to all seven brothers? The Sadducees told this conundrum story in order to ridicule the whole concept of the resurrection. Don't lose sight of that with me. I may not be very good at, at conveying this message to you today, but it's all about the, the resurrection being under attack. The truth of the resurrection is under attack. And it wasn't only under attack then, it's under attack now. 
People out there wondering, is Jesus real? Is Jesus not real? You know, none of these things can be true because they're so outlandish. Well, Jesus is a pretty outlandish Savior. You know, making some pretty outlandish claims, but I believe them all. You know, because it is settled in my heart and mind once and for all, my peace is never up for grabs. It's never up for grabs. I don't put my peace of mind up for grabs. Does that make sense to you? That's because it's settled in my heart and mind. Jesus is real. Jesus tells the truth. His claims are accurate. Amen? So I don't, I don't argue. I don't argue. They thought that just a bit of crude wit in their common sense would reduce the belief in the resurrection to an absurdity. How wrong they were. How many of you know that the, the thing that I said earlier about Jesus being pretty smart is true? Jesus is pretty smart. I wrote a note here. In our Lord lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen to his answer. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, I love this. First of all, they were just wrong. But he, he finished off with, in this version, you are badly mistaken. <laughs> so that's why I said there must be degrees of being wrong because first they were just wrong. Now they're really, really wrong. <laughs> you know, it's progressed. That's bad. You're wrong, but now you're really, really wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. I just love the, the humor that I see in the Bible. Christ didn't get mad, but he answered their question seriously. So now we're at the first point of our message. Bring it up, Nathan. The servant king said the Sadducees were wrong because they didn't know the Scriptures. The Lord Christ didn't reply that all men look at truth in different ways so that every opinion is relative. I'm going to tell you right now, listen, people get, in the day and age in which we live, people get mad if you say anything about their opinion. But I stand up here before you today telling you that not every opinion counts. I, I'm just telling you the truth. There are a lot of opinions out there about Jesus, but with me, they don't matter. If they're not scriptural, I don't give a flying flip. I don't care. I don't care. You know, it, 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 it's hard for me not to cry about what I'm about to tell you because it is so humbling to me. It buries me sometimes, but in a good way. I, I, I thank God that he gave me a Christian wife. And she's a believer. I thank God that my oldest son married a Christian girl. And they have three children. All of them are serving God. I thank God that my daughter married a Christian man. They have two daughters and all of them are serving God. My grandchildren are being raised in such a way that they almost set a place at the table for Jesus. Because the kids think he lives in the house. My youngest son is sitting over there. He's called this church home from the day it was conceived and serves God. 
what have I got to worry about? All those people that I love and care about, they're not debating about whether Jesus is real. It's settled in their hearts and minds. It's not, you know, it's not a, a struggle for them. They're not fighting within themselves about it. I got a nephew sitting back there that loves God. I mean, I look at, I look at my family and I, how could I be any richer? How could I be any more wealthy? How could I be any more taken care of than I am to know that my children and my family, my, my, my grandchildren, all believe in the resurrection? They know that everything that is in this world doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter because God's got a plan. Can you say amen? The Lord Christ didn't reply that all men look at truth in different ways so that every opinion is relative. Listen to this. I wrote these things down. I can't even believe this. It's amazing to me. There is truth and there is error in the servant king's thinking. We must cleave to the one and resist the other. Jesus didn't say that no one knows what happens after death or whether there'll be a resurrection or not. He didn't suggest that the Sadducees' guessing was just as good as his own beliefs. When they spoke, when the Sadducees spoke, listen to this, when they spoke, did the winds and waves obey them? No. The winds and waves obey Jesus, not the Sadducees. Can you say amen? The Sadducees couldn't cure the common cold, let alone raise the dead. You are in error, said Jesus. You are wrong. And at the end, he said, you're very wrong. <laughs> Lord. The word means that they had wandered off track. They were wrong. And not in some fringe beliefs, but at the very core of their system. They were seriously at error, at the very heart and center of their lives, None of us knows everything, so how does God help us? How many of you want to be helped by God? You know, it was okay for Jesus to say to that centurion, uh, you know, have faith, just trust, just trust. And he said, I believe, but what did he say after that? Because his daughter's life was at stake, you remember? She's back home dying, and Jesus told him to calm down, have faith. He said, I believe. He said, only believe. And the man said, I believe. And what did he say next? Help thou mine unbelief. In other words, if there's a shred of doubt in me, help me. My daughter's life is at stake. Right? That's right. Help us, Lord. Jesus has given us the scriptures to teach us, correct us, rebuke us, and to point out to us what's true. So listen to this. Listen, why do we believe in the resurrection? Because on the third day, Jesus rose from, the, rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. And I've wrote note after note after note here. Listen to this. By those words, we don't mean that the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ survived. Not that we're referring to the survival of them or the memory. Nor do we mean the survival of his teaching. Nor are we thinking of the survival of his influence. Nor are we saying that uh, this, these ideas survive. The scriptures are speaking in the most literal terms of a phenomenal occurrence, that is, of a physical event. They're not talking about the soul of Jesus, nor his ideals. 
nor the religion proclaimed by his followers. They're speaking of the body, the physical body of Christ. He came back to life. He died and he lived again. Can you say amen? amen. Something happened to that body, which means it was reanimated. It was brought to life again so that it still exists. It still functions. This whole concept of Christ's resurrection must be lifted out of the realm of ideas and doctrines. It must be firmly rooted where it belongs in the world of physical reality where our bodies grow old and weak and then they die. Now, there's a reason for me saying that. you got to follow with me. Wasn't it Mark who wrote in this gospel? Wasn't it Mark who wrote this gospel that probably was there when Jesus died? He was nearby when Jesus was raised from the dead. He was with the group of people that were seen... Uh, that which saw Jesus for, for many days after he died and was put in a tomb and a stone was rolled in front of it. About 500 people saw him over a period of about six weeks. And the last person that I believe saw Jesus was Paul. The last one to see him. He had already ascended, but he reappeared again to Paul on the road to Emmaus. It's important for you to focus on the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead because he's going to do the same thing to us. Every one of us. You can, heaven forbid, go out there and be hit by a Greyhound bus in front of this building out there. That'd be tough because I haven't seen any Greyhound buses in Alaska. But, and however, you will be raised again from the dead on that day. Amen? If God could raise his own son from the dead after being in the grave for how many days? Three days. He can raise you up. Amen? Jesus kept saying about Lazarus, you know, uh, Lazarus is asleep. We're going to wake Lazarus up. And finally the disciples, they finally said to him, well, Jesus, look, if he's just asleep, he's okay. And Jesus said, no, clearly, Lazarus is dead. And what was he saying to his disciples? It's no more difficult for me to raise Lazarus from the dead than it is to wake him up from a nap. Amen? If that don't make you shout. You're twice dead and plucked up by the roots. <laughs> that gets to me. That just runs all over me. Listen, now I've got to... I've got to Read some scripture to you. You got to hear this. How many of you believe that the scripture is powerful? It's a better preacher than me. Amen? Better preacher than me. The scriptures tell us, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we can read these words beginning at verse 35, but, but someone may ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives his own body. He gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies are one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. 
The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the, st- and the stars differ from star to star in splendor. So will it be, so will it be, with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spirit did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are in the earth. And as is, as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have come, or yeah, just as we have been born the likeness of earthly man, so shall we bear the likenesses of man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. That's that day God knows about. Amen? For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58. You must know the teaching of the Scriptures concerning the resurrection of the dead. Otherwise, you will go astray like the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. It was the big key to their problems. Second point, the servant king said the Sadducees were wrong because they didn't know the power of God. You know, ever since I was young, because I'm not young anymore, I've had a lot of, you know, time to think about this. If I, if I get invited to preach, I think a lot and pray a lot about, Father, what will you do in the service? I can put a lot of words together. I can, I can keep you for a long time. My kids used to tell me, they'd scold me up. Daddy, you say in closing, and then you don't close. And, <laughs> and they were right. Don't do that much anymore. Much anymore. But listen to this carefully. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus had not been dead, risen, and ascended for very long. When on the day of Pentecost, at Passover, hundreds of thousands of people were in the city. Came to celebrate the Passover. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and preached words short sermon but what he talked about was the man they had just been responsible for murdering 
on the cross. They were just words. You know what he preached about? If you, if you needed to, to encapsulate the sermon of the day was Peter preached about the resurrection. He told them that the man you just murdered is no longer dead. But he's been raised from the dead. And those words were so anointed by God. Something the Sadducees didn't know anything about. They didn't know anything about the power of God. And God so blessed that man's words. That poor fisherman. God so blessed his words that 3,000 people got saved because of one simple sermon. That's why I always talk to God about what a trashed up vessel this is. You know, God, please fix the conduit. Anoint me in, in Jesus' name. To be able to give the words with your power all over them. Words with no power don't change lives. The Sadducees, they couldn't win anybody to the Lord. They, they didn't have words. They didn't. Jesus said, you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. I like to think at six years old that I'm beginning to scratch the surface. Beginning to scratch the surface of knowing something about the power of God. Gloria, do you know anything about the power of God? Peter preached to them the resurrection in those words and then what happened to 3,000 of the men listening to him. The power of God cut through to their hearts. And he changed them. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted that they had crucified the Son of God. And they were facing an open-ended encounter with God, whose son they'd murdered. His blood was on their hands. And only God could save them. Here were men who had come under the truth, but more than that, under the energy of God. Oh, it's powerful. Which divine power was convicting them, illuminating their minds, giving them repentance, and giving them faith to believe it was indeed true when Peter told them that if they repented and were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They did repent, and they did receive the gift of the Spirit of God. You know, there's not a demon in existence that doesn't know and believe that God raised Jesus up out of that tomb. Not a demon in existence that doesn't know it and doesn't believe it, yet there's still demons. And they're still going to get their reward in hell because they will not do what Jesus said. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. What, what words? Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and they will not do it. They can't get saved. 
You know, the angels in heaven above, it says that they can't comprehend salvation. They can't comprehend salvation. They can't understand it. And yet, the Bible says, what happens when someone gets saved? The angels in heaven rejoice. And I used to wonder, why? They don't know what it is to be saved, but they know the joy that it brings the Father. They rejoice because they know the joy that it brings Father when someone decides, I believe. I'll take God at his word. I'll take Jesus at his word. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why do I know what I'm talking about? Romans chapter 10 verses 8 and 9 says so. Good enough for me. No argument. Three, the servant king said the Sadducees were wrong because they stated that the world to come was essentially an extension of conditions on earth today, including the marriage state. Now, listen to me. Where in the world did I get that from? They don't believe in the resurrection. They believe everything happens. I mean, when you die, it just stops. Everything just stops. But yet, they were going to try to come up with this mockery of a question and try to trip Jesus up like you could do that. So, so they weren't smart enough to come up with something other than when, if the resurrection takes place and if people go to heaven, it's just going to be a continuation of what life is like here. That nothing's going to change. Everything will be the same. An assumption. Does that make sense to you? Well, how do I know? What's your proof, Brother Dennis? Well, if I were a lawyer in court, I'd lay the evidence down. They talked like that marriage is just going to be the same in heaven. I was trying to tell a man one time, I was trying in my feeble way to explain to him, heaven's going to be different. You know, I said, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you find out that we're not going to uh, die, be resurrected, and be unrecognizable. We're not going to lose our individuality. We're, you know, we're going to be recognizable. Does that make sense to you? So here's what he said to me. So you mean that if my wife is sitting across from the table from me in heaven, I'll know that's the woman that burnt my toast. And I said, I don't think you're getting what I'm trying to put across here. <laughs> I think you're missing my point here. If you think about her burning your toast. <laughs> it was funnier in my head when I... <laughs> You've ever heard anybody say, I, I don't know, even if I could go to heaven, I don't know if I want to go because I don't want to, you know, everlasting, everlasting, long and forever and forever. I think I'd get bored. It's because you, you don't have a very good imagination, <laughs> you know? How many, of you, how many of you know that it's going to be exciting in heaven? I had a guy come into my office when I was a pastor, and he, he wanted to tell me that, you know, there's certain people you need to call them false prophets because of what they believe. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, that brother that stood up in church said that he dreamed that he died and went to heaven and was talking to, walking on this dirt path, and I knew then he was wrong because there is no dirt in heaven. And I went... How do you know there's no dirt in heaven? <laughs> I mean, how do you know there's no dirt in heaven? You know, I kind of like to think about, you know, the mountains in Alaska as being like the fingerprint of God. You know what I'm saying? How many of you know that there could be dirt in heaven? 
I'm not going to stand here and tell you if there's no dirt in heaven, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going to heaven. I want dirt in heaven. It doesn't matter whether there's dirt in heaven. It doesn't matter. That's not what's important. What's important is I get to go find down. <laughs> you know? <laughs> kind of like the two guys that, that love baseball so much. They said, you know, I, I don't know if I want to go to heaven if there's no baseball in heaven. And they made a deal with each other. If the one of us that dies first has got to come back somehow and get the message of the other whether there's baseball in heaven. So one of them died. And the next Friday, the guy's walking down the street missing his friend, and his friend appeared and said, I promise you I'd try to get back and get the message to you about whether there's baseball in heaven. He said, I have good news and I have bad news. Good news is there's baseball in heaven. The bad news is you're pitching next Friday. <laughs> I don't care whether there's baseball in heaven or not. I want to go find out. Amen? I asked a bunch of little boys in a Sunday school class, and I said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And all of them raised their hands except one. He's sitting there with his eyes all big and round. I said, what's wrong, son? Don't you want to go to heaven? He said, Pastor, Mama said, I have to come home from Sunday school. Right after Sunday school, I have to come home. I said, well, I'm not getting a busload ready <laughs> to go, you know. But there are a lot of people like that child. They're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid of the unknown. Amen? Here's what I believe. Now, how many of you know you can eat the meat and spit out the bones? I warned you. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. All right? This is just in my heart. I believe we will love one another much more in heaven than we do on this earth. We will be more capable of loving than we ever were here. I love Ruthie, and I don't think she's ever burnt my toes. I don't care. I just get another piece. <laughs> I'm going to know her, and she's going to know me. That's all I need to know. All right? All right, fourth point. The servant king said the Sadducees were wrong because they ignored the implications of the way God refers to himself. Oh, please forgive me. I'm running over here a little bit. But, but we're going to finish up. We're going to wrap this up. Now, the, the servant king said the Sadducees were wrong because they ignored the implications of the way God refers to himself. Watch this. If I said to you today, my God is the God of Superman, my God is the God of Batman, and my God is the God of Spider-Man, would that inspire you to get any closer to God? No. I may be a big fan of the genre, but you're not going to find anything in the Bible where God's the God of Batman, God's the God of Superman, and God is the God of Spider-Man. Listen to me carefully. Why in the world did I make such a stupid joke like that? Because God is the God of the living and not the unreal. God is the God of Abraham and of Isaac, and of Jacob, not Batman, Superman, and Spider-Man. He is the God of the real, not the unreal. Amen? See, that's important to know because that's what he finished out the, the passage of Scripture with. God revealed Himself to Moses at the bush, and then centuries after Moses' death, He brought Moses from heaven to speak to His Son on the Mount of Transfiguration meant he still had a body. Many, 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 many years after he died, 
God's the God of the living. God acknowledges himself to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at this moment. It is the God Almighty who says, I am still the God of Abraham, still the God of Isaac, and still the God of Jacob, and will be forever. They live with God, and in God, and God is in them. When God called Abraham into a new relationship with himself, God called a whole person. You cop in what I'm putting out there? God justified Abraham freely when he trusted in the Lord. That new relationship of justifier and justified began and exists forever. God said to Abraham, and I'm going to paraphrase, and no one can argue with me on this truth. I will never stop being your God, Abraham. I will never stop being your God. So then Abraham can't just one day not exist anymore. He didn't make covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and say, till death do us part. Until you stop breathing. Then the covenant's over. The covenant was forever. Amen? This is what these men themselves were taught by God. This was their hope. As death drew near. Hebrews 11.10 tells us that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations who architect and builders God. The writer goes on to say, All these people are still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. Hebrews 11.11-13. He even adds this, Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Please grasp this: that the living God, to the living God, listen to this. This I'm, I'm really I'm closing, Nathan. I promise you, I'm closing right now. Please grasp this: that the living God, that to the living God, Lord, help this sink in. To the living God, the grave, the state of death, is not. A natural state. Death is an enemy. God breathed life into man's dust. God formed us in the womb. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. What God has made, he will certainly remake. To deny the resurrection is to deny God, his word and his power, his binding love for his people and his very character. Believing in the resurrection is not just the best hope for the world. It is what gives this world its full value. It's not gaining things. It's not he who dies with the most toys wins. i got to read that again. Believing in the resurrection is not just the best hope for the world. It is what gives this world its full value. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Verse 27. So you see, the last words to these Sadducees is, you are badly mistaken. You're badly mistaken. 